Welcome back to the Piece of Us podcast. I'm your host, Max. And I'm your co-host, Crystal. And I'm your co-co-host, Aaron. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Sorry we have not been consistent lately. We It's been a struggle. Between being sick and then... We have so many technical issues, like our cords... Oh. Looks like a spaghetti bowl in this room. <laughs> <laughs> we need to redo all of our... Everything. Yeah. All right, Max, what are we talking about today? I want to hear what you have to... or I want to hear your opinion on, like, me riding a motorcycle. Oh, my gosh. So, Max recently got a motorcycle. Motorcycle. I don't even say it right. She says, <laughs> like... You say, like, mortar. Like, mortar. Like yeah. a mortar... Like a... Mortar striker. What are those mortar bowls? <laughs> Mortar and pestle. Mortar and pestle. So when Max first was talking about that he wanted to get one, I was so hesitant. And I was like, you know, you just hear about all the tragic stories and all the people. And it's not even necessarily like the person on the cycle. It's the other cars around you. A lot of people don't check their blind spots or just do different stuff. And so as a mom, I was like, absolutely not. Like, (laughs) we're not doing that because obviously I would never want anything to happen to Max. And so it just really, really scared me. But as he talked about it more and more and more and kept bringing it up and bringing it up, I was like, okay, he's really serious about this. And so then he came to me and he's like, there's this class. It's a full course on writing and safety precautions and all of this different stuff. And he's like, I really want to take this class. And I, I knew it. I knew when you wanted to take that class that that was the beginning of his writing journey. And so then- <laughs> the class is called the MSF course. And you basically go, they put you on a motorcycle and then you do a bunch of courses and stuff on it you and then you take your test after and you get a card uh, which means you don't have to take the test at the dmv which was very nice because it is very stressful taking the like tests at the dmv even like my driver's test just stressful so it was nice not to have to do that part of it and i got like i think two days uh, like eight hours each so i got like 16 hours in total of just Learning how to ride and learning all the laws and learning everything. I don't know. I was glad to take it. I was really glad you took it too. So once he was taking the course and there was just one particular, I think it was the second day that you took it. I don't know. But he had come home and he had the biggest smile on his face. And he was like, I love riding. Like, I love the feeling that I get when I'm on it. I love the fresh air. And like, I just, I love it. And so then that's the moment that I was like, okay, like, I know I am still scared, obviously, every time he gets on it. And I know there's still this piece of me that's like, ah, inside. But I love that you're doing what you love. And you're doing it safely. So he took that full course. He went out uh, with Joe, and which is Aaron's best friend. He rides um, too. And so they went out and they picked out, like, the best helmet that you could get. They got... You know, actually, even pants that have padding and different things in it, and all the gear we could possibly get, we got. Oh my gosh! And I guess there is this like vest or jacket. I don't know, but it's actually an airbag. That if you ever fell off, it would like puff up like an airbag. I haven't gotten it yet. I want to get it. It's a little pricey though. It's basically like bubble wrapping him (laughs) (laughs) without actually bubble wrapping him. So. 
my thoughts are on it. I mean, I'm still scared. I still, but I would say that I'm, I'm scared when any of my kids get behind a wheel when, you know what I mean? I just, driving in general is scary. And I feel like Arizona drivers just. Well, it's uh, all the Chicago. I mean, I guess not compared to Chicago over. or New York either, because even California is kind of, a, we've had some crazy driving experiences there. But I think that one thing too, that they taught him in that course was to pay attention. Like don't sit in somebody's blind spot. Don't like they taught him a lot of um, defensive driving things and things to think about before you go and ride. So, and then Joe's been taking him out a few times too. And like, okay, you turned this corner. You were a little squirrely on this. You were a little this on this. And like really just analyzing and improving his skills and all of that. So yeah, it's, I've come to accept it. How do you feel about it, Erin? Okay, so for me, I've always wanted to ride. Um, it's always been something that I've I've wanted to do. My parents love them. I have always been extremely protective. And I thought it was interesting, as I grew older, my parents decided that they wanted to ride. Well, I just want to say something quickly. Um, your parents... So... Your parents rode, uh, Max rode, which is my grandpa. Yeah. Your uh, your mom rode, your mom rode, your stepdad rode, but they all your rode. dad rode, or yeah, he rides still. My parents like, rode later in life, though. My parents didn't start riding till they were like, uh, what, like, 55 maybe? Yeah. And so the interesting thing is my mom has Parkinson's, as you all know, uh, or you may not know, but since her Parkinson's, Parkinson's is... Uh, progressed so much she has had to stop writing and I must say like when my parents started writing I they were the same as Max you could tell that they loved it you could tell that they enjoyed it it was a freedom that they got um, that they had never had before and I was so happy for them when they started writing and I was so sad for them when they had to stop writing and so for me I felt like you know I am I'm worried that something's gonna happen to Max absolutely but he's taken every step and precaution that he can to do it as safely as he can. And I have to say, like, you're going to come across things in life that you love to do, and they may not always be the safest, but don't let a fear of the unknown or a fear of um, something like that keep you from doing something that you love. Because I think that's super important. I, I don't think you can live a full life if you're not living and doing the things that you love. So I'm super happy that Max got his license. I actually want to go get mine so I can go riding with him. Yeah, your um, you got to talk in the mic. Oh, sorry. Yeah, your dad did invite us out to go uh, ride his. He's got the three wheelers. Yeah, the reverse trikes. The reverse trikes. Yeah. Yeah, he invited us out to go do those, so I want to go do that one of these days. That would be sweet. So I have to say, too, my, so my dad, um, who passed away from cancer, his name was also Max, and he loved his bike. Like, he was obsessed, and then when he met my mom, he got her into it, and she loved it, and it was just always a big piece of his life, and it was actually kind of funny because when my mom had her first kid, when she had Shelly, my dad was like, okay, you have to sell your bike, like, you're done, you're a mom now, and she was like, what, are you kidding me, because she actually really enjoyed it, she loves it, 
And um, we should surprise her with, <laughs> I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Um, but so, uh, but she did end up getting rid of her bike at that point. But my dad always kept his, it was just like his thing and he loved it. So I do feel like a little piece of me is like, oh, he's riding, like it kind of reminds me of my dad and how much he loved it. So, yeah. And what, one more thing is when you start, when I started riding, I didn't realize how many people want to ride or have rode before like i didn't realize that and then i got my bike and everyone's like oh dude i've been wanting to ride for a long time maybe i should so it was just cool to see he said it was funny though because tell him uh, who was in your class like your safety course that you were taking what was the majority oh there was it was it was a lot more older people like it wasn't um i think there was maybe one or two more people that was like kind of close to my age but there was a lot of people in their 20s, their 30s. Like, it, there was a wide variety in that class I went to. Wait, you didn't talk? Like, a lot of them were like, I'm going through a divorce. Oh, some of them were going crisis. through, like, midlife crises. One just, his wife just divorced him and took the kids, and he just, he was trying to find something in life that he enjoyed. Like, it was, the class was crazy. It was crazy to see who was there. But there's a sense of community around it that is just, I, I love it. So how do you feel when you ride? Like, what is the feeling? What do you like about it? It's a hard feeling to explain. Um, I don't know. It just feels like freedom. Like, I don't... It's so hard to explain. The wind in your hair. Yeah. I guess <laughs> yeah. on your helmet. But, on your helmet. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That it's, it's, too hard, it's too hard of a feeling to explain. It's just... There's something about it. When you find something you really, really love doing... It's just that feeling. I don't know. I love that. I love, I love the happiness that it has brought Max. And I can definitely tell he is enjoying it. Please continue to be safe. I will. Yes. I will. Safety is number one. Yep. So I'm going to step out. Well, so we have a guest coming on in just a couple of minutes. I'm going to go get that set up. But while I do that, I'm going to have Joe sit really quick in my place. And... <laughs> he's surprised because he didn't know he was coming on it. But I want you to talk about like your writing experience and like what you feel about it. So I'm going to switch in spots. Surprise, surprise. Welcome, I'm Joseph. Joe. Curious, when did you start writing? Well, um, kind of taking it back even, as you mentioned, a lot of your family has a bunch of motorcycle riders in yeah. it. Uh, my grandfather was the first motorcycle cop for uh, the DPS, Department of Public Safety for Arizona. My other grandfather, he was a motorcycle rider his whole life. My uncles, my aunt. So there's, you know, we, we've all, my dad's had it. So we've all really done a bunch, my brother. And I picked it up right after high school. I actually, Aaron, do you remember when I distracted driving and I wrecked my oh, Honda dad, CRX? You have to tell the story of uh, the dumpster. I wasn't going to bring it up. I wasn't going to bring it up. I, bring it's it always up. brought up and I'm okay. I'm comfortable with it. <laughs> But I, um, I wrecked my Honda CRX back in high school and I just had a bicycle to go around. My uncle had a little Honda Rebel in his garage that he wasn't using. And he said, I could go ahead and have that. And so my uncle taught me how to ride and which is coincidentally the same motorcycle that you had. Mine's just, it was about 35 years older model than yours. But, uh, I started riding. Then I ended up moving to Fiji. I, when I got back, I ended up getting another motorcycle. I actually bought a motorcycle from my other uncle. 
And then I rode that for, uh, for a few years. And then I got married. My ex-wife said I had to choose between her and the bike and I chose her. And then for many years, I actually didn't have a motorcycle. And just recently, uh, what was that? A year ago? Yeah, about a year ago. About now. a year ago. Uh, Aaron actually, because I'd always been talking about, man, I want to get one. I want to get one. I want to get one. Aaron actually reached out and he got me one. And it was my dream bike that, that I actually had. It was a, a Harley V-Rod. It was awesome. So when we were driving, the, we were getting driving down to Florida to do our adoptions of our our sibling set of three. And while we were driving, Joe was driving with me, great co-pilot. Um, but I was prodding him, and he didn't realize what I was doing. But I was actually like planning the entire thing. And I was like, "Okay, what's your dream bike? You know, if you could do this, uh, I know you want to get riding again." I have to say, like with Joe. There was a, a confidence, a, a, a happiness to him when he was riding his bike before he got married. And then after he got divorced, I could tell he was just missing something. And I've always thought that it was, you know, him riding the motorcycle, um, having that freedom, having that confidence. It was just something that he loved. It, Joe could talk about it forever. And... I was like, he needs to get back riding again. And so I just started, you know, poking and prodding while we were on the trip. He didn't know what was going on, but I was recording, you know, okay, if he had a dream bike, what would he get? If so, and then I was able to surprise him with it. I just thought we're driving from Arizona to Florida and back. That's a lot of road time. We're just chatting, talking <laughs> about cars and talking about motorcycles and different things. And so I had no, I, I had no idea. It was, it was awesome. But that I surprise was done in the weirdest way, though. It, you had no idea it was coming either. No, I had no clue what was happening. Because who pulls a who pulls a motorcycle in a house, right? <laughs> you guys will have to watch the video up. if you haven't. It, it, it was it was a funny video. It yeah, was good. but kind of as as Max had mentioned, there's there's definitely a freedom involved in it, but it is a little bit hard to put to words just mm-hmm. some of that feeling. But it's like if you're if you're, you know, you just want to go have fun. I love going out and riding with you. And, and as you're learning and doing that, it's just really fun and free to be on the road. But it's like, if you want to go have fun, you go ride. Maybe you're having a little bit of a bad day and you just want to go release a little bit of stress. You can it's go a great out and ride. Way to do it. If you need to go clear your mind, it's just you and the road. If you're, you know, you're, you're sad, go out, just burn that, you know, burn, burn that sadness off. Like it's just this really weird thing that, is kind of therapeutic in many ways as well as just a lot of fun exciting and you know it's just one of those things that you want to do a lot but as you guys did talk about there is that safety factor so it's kind of one of those i don't ride daily because it is dangerous but it is also really hot outside too that is tough i will i'm gonna throw it out there and i'm gonna be honest every time you two go out i have this huge jealousy thing inside me that wishes I was going out with you guys. So, so I'm trying to find the time where I can go get mine so I can come out and ride with you guys. Now, initially I'm not going to let you ride mine. No, that's fine. And why is it? It's a lot of motorcycle. What? What? Why? Uh, yeah. So, okay. So if Joe's first bike, he brought it over to my house. Um, I lived, uh, it was the house that I married where I was living in when Crystal and I got married. Um, so Joe came over to my house and in Arizona, we have these big black bins that you put your trash in. It was trash day. 
trash can is out there. And Joe's like, you want to take it for a ride? And he's like, you know how to ride, right? And I'm like, well, I, I know how to drive a manual. So I, I understand the concept of like getting it going and everything like that. But I had never ridden a motorcycle before. <laughs> but I made it seem pretty convincing that I had. <laughs> I, you might have mentioned you'd done dirt bikes or something. So I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. So I get on it and I'm like getting ready to go. And, and then I start going, well, I just wasn't used to it. And so I freaked out and I, I, I hit it. Oh no. Yeah. Oh, it just took off. And then and as it goes, you kind of twist it more hanging on. Yeah, exactly. And right into this trash can in my front yard, trash all over the street. I dropped the bike. I feel horrible. It is like the worst thing. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just dying laughing. That at this did point. not go. Like as soon as I, I knew you were okay. Oh my goodness. But I it, felt so bad. So it's kind of one of those. Of this. Oh man! If only we had a video. Seriously. Uh, but but it's a it's kind of a long running joke that we do have, you know, with with you doing that kind of thing. But at the same time, it's one like, all right, even though you kind of fell off, you want to get back on. I do. Kind of thing, and and I think that's one of the the fun things about the motorcycles, and I would love to see you doing that because I know how much fun I have going out for rides with Max. I want you to be able to do the same thing with them. Absolutely. Um, my my dad has a motorcycle. Both my dads have motorcycles. And he let me ride one of his really nice Harleys. Um, and I just rode it down the street and back. And it was just, it was the best experience. I, I want to thank him for, you know, trusting me just like Joe did. And thankfully I didn't lay his down because that would have been really sad. But nice Harley down, that would be very sad. I, I, I want to get out there. I really do. I think it could be a lot of fun, but it, it doesn't. I definitely am thinking of the safety aspect. I got a lot of kids and uh, I got a lot a lot to live for. So. That's, that, is a, that is a huge thing. <laughs> I want to do it safe. Absolutely, especially as a parent, uh, because you do have a family, people that you know you have to take care of. That is a consideration. Unfortunately, there's kind of a saying with motorcycle riders there's those who have been down and those who are on their way down, meaning basically either you've already been in a wreck or you are going to be in a wreck. It's kind of just a given, unfortunately, on them. Many are user error, many are not, but it's one of those things where you have to consider that. And I do love that Max is Max is not a speed demon out there at all. Mm-mm. If anything, when I'm riding, I'm I drive. Kind of wishing just go a little faster, but I never, ever push you because I want you to stay safe. Uh, you know, and, and I know how much Crystal is wary. There's also one thing like that I think about it. Even if I want to ever go faster, just really how much faster is five miles per hour going to take you? Like, is it really going to be a, as much of a difference? Is it worth like that little bit of extra speed? It's just not like stick the speed limit. There's no reason to go over. Like, I love that. I don't know. I think it's just uh, be safe out there, you know. Max has gotten to be, I think, a little bit of a better driver in his car. Yeah, so that is one thing I realized um, is every time I'm on the road in my car now, I'm, like, paying extra attention to motorcycles. Um, You know, if someone's taking a right-hand turn at a light, um, one thing they said in the class is they're looking for cars. They're not looking for bikes. They're looking for cars. So every time I go up to a right turn and I'm taking a right, I'm just taking an extra second or two to make sure it is really safe. And just, it made me more aware. And 
So I, I am glad even if it was just went out and did the course, didn't ride, it did make me safer. Like it, I don't know. I think the most interesting thing too is that there's a lot of countries out there where motorcycles are like the more primary mode of transportation. There are. And then um, cars. Europe is huge on them. But like, I think India has a ton of motorcycles, mopeds, all that kind of stuff, way more than they do automobiles. I just think it's so interesting how in, it doesn't seem like as many riders in the in the U.S. Yeah. as other places. So. Yeah, it is. It, it is a, a fun fun group as as Max has found. There's kind of a fun um, community community around. involved in it. And actually, to today to, there's a bike wash going on. So yeah, there's uh, tomorrow. You? Tomorrow. Or tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, there's a bike wash tomorrow that Max was talking about wanting to go to. And so, you know, I was saying, hey, let's go ride down to that, get ourselves some lunch there and, and get our motorcycles washed. But it's also just a, you know, it is it is really freeing and that kind of thing. So I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to, with your parents' permission, I did actually when we went to go get your motorcycle, I straight up asked Crystal before we left, you tell me right now and if you say no... We are not going. Like, I gave her absolute final say. I said, if you say no, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Super excited she said yes. <laughs> but I'm always, he's probably, Max, you're probably getting sick of it a little bit. You can say yes if, if you are, but I'm always just harping on him on safety and wear your gear. And it doesn't matter how um, hard it is. And... No, I actually don't get tired of it. And uh, when you actually do bring up just some certain things, like a big one's my blinker, is sometimes I blinker like as I'm doing stuff and I need to let people know before I just jump over. So no, I actually find it to be very helpful. Makes That's me so a, sweet. He's makes me a better writer. He's probably grunting every time I say something, but I, I <laughs> no. And actually one time I rode behind you and I saw what you mean by how much earlier you do your blinker than I do. Well, I want to thank Joe for joining us and sharing his thoughts on riding motorcycles uh, we are going to go over to, over to our guest. Yeah, we're going to switch some things around and get Crystal back on the couch with us. And we're going to bring on Meredith. So let's go. All right. All right. On to our next guest. So we are so excited because um, our next guest, guest, her name is Meredith. And she was actually adopted at three months old. And I feel like it's such an incredible thing to talk to people who have been through adoption and kind of their journey and how they've overcome different feelings and like just all the things with it. And so um, I was I got the privilege to talk to her the other day and uh, she is very inspiring and she had a lot of great things that she brought up that I'm like, oh, my gosh, I didn't think of it like that. And I just love learning from other people. So welcome to the podcast, Meredith. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome, well, Meredith. Yeah, we're so Thank excited you. to have you. Thank okay, you. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your journey and yeah. So I was adopted. I was born three and a half months premature. Um, my birth mother was 15 when she had me. Or I'm sorry, she was 15 when she got pregnant, 16 when she had me. And my birth father was supposedly 19. I don't know too much about that side of things. Um, so for obvious reasons, they were unable to raise me. Um, so I spent the first two months in the NICU um, as I was two and a half pounds when I was born. 
Oh my gosh, that's tiny. It was very tiny. Um, yeah, unfortunately there was, um, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but there was some drug use and some other issues going on, which contributed to, you know, the low birth weight. Um, I also have some learning disabilities because of it, but because, um, they were so young, they, they chose to place me for adoption, which I think is the most selfless thing they could have done. Even at that age, like they realized that it was the right thing to do. Definitely. I think that's a really, really hard. That would be one of the toughest decisions anyone would have to make, but ultimately for your child to have a better life or to provide something that you can't like such a selfless thing. to It is, it is. And, and at the ages that they were, especially my birth mother at 15. Yeah. So because of, um, being in the NICU, I wasn't held all that much. And we think that that's where the abandonment issues first started. Um, That's obviously a guess, but that is what we've, you know, come to realize that that's how it all began. I can understand that. So my mom, I was born breech, actually. I was born feet first instead of head first. And back then, like when I was born, they were, um, they were like, there's so many issues. We needed to do a C-section, but my mom didn't want to. And her doctor was okay with delivering me like that. Uh, wow. But I had to be in the NICU for a little bit because uh, they were worried that you like breathe in, I don't know, something with their breathing and that kind of thing. So they wouldn't yeah. let my mom hold me for the first, I think she said three days. Yeah. And she was so worried that it was going to create some kind of, because there is studies done that holding baby, especially like skin to skin contact on your chest and just hearing your heartbeat and all of that really relaxes babies and does so much health benefits. And so she would sneak into the nursery, she said, and she would just place her hand (laughs) on me. So, and I was just crying and crying and crying. And she would just like place her little hand there to know like, I'm here, but I can't hold you. And so, um, but she was worried about something like that too. And so I'm sure I'm sure. Yes. So, um, okay. So then uh, when did your adoptive parents come to the hospital or how did that part of it? Um, so I was adopted through Catholic charities. Um, so they, they did not, um, I, from the hospital, I, a brief stay, um, I actually lived with my adoption social worker, um, for about three weeks and I'm still in contact with her today. Fun fact. Um, she plays a huge thing. Yeah. She plays a, you know, a huge role in my life. I mean, she, she knew me from the very beginning. Um, and we have an agreement that, you know, I don't ask her questions about my, my adoption is totally closed. I was adopted in New York state and, um, Catholic charities. It's a long story, but they basically got rid of all that their all of their adoptees records. And so oh, pretty wow. much every case is closed and it's very difficult to get any information. Um, but she and I had an agreement that I, you know, would never ask her um, details about my birth family because it was such a difficult situation. Um, and we've just had that agreement my entire life. Um, so from there, um, I was, um, my 
parents, along with a bunch of their other friends, went to some Catholic charity meetings, and they found out that there was um, a child available, and so they got me. <laughs> That's so special. I'm sure they were so excited. I remember getting those calls, and you're just like, ah. Oh. Yeah. Well, they. The oh, hold on. Talk Sorry. Is a song by uh, Alexis, stop. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you're good. Um. Yeah, they literally got the call like one night and they picked me up the next morning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they said they would welcome twins, triplets, you know, anything. They just wanted a family. Oh, that's sweet. So were you an only child growing up or did they adopt other children? I am an only child. We did. I did have a a brother. Um, We didn't legally adopt adopt him, but he was um, we were guardians for him. He had some intellectual disabilities and so we brought him into our home. Um, unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, but it was like having a brother. Oh, I'm sorry years. about that. Oh, thank you. No, he he was a light. It, you know, he was great. He lived a great life. I wanted oh. to ask you real quick. Have you struggled sure. over the over your life um, having that agreement with your caseworker? Like, have, have you ever struggled with wanting to know that information so bad, but not really feeling like you can ask that. I did, especially when I was a teenager, you know, I really wanted to reach out to her and ask her, but I think I knew in the back of my mind, the reasons why, you know, she wanted to keep that private. And, you know, if it's for a reason, that's not such a good reason. I'd rather go through life, you know, knowing the good information versus the bad. But I did, you know, and I, and I think that's a normal teenage feeling too, is, you oh, know, yeah. you know, um, but ever since then, no, it's, it's never the abandonment issue always bothers me. But the fact that I never like got to really ask her those questions, nah, I would say to this day right now, it, it doesn't bother me anymore. So did you grow up your whole life knowing you were adopted or did they wait until you were older or how did that work? I did. Um, from what I remember, um, they read me a book and I believe it was called, why was I adopted? Um, I still have the book somewhere and I believe I was six years old, like old enough to comprehend, you know, what adoption meant. And, you know, um, and they just always told me that I was, uh, I was, you know, not born from her belly, but I was born from her heart. So That was just what I knew. And I had a lot of friends growing up that were adopted too. So for me, it was, it wasn't unusual. You know, it was very, it was very common. Yeah. And I feel like it should be commonly talked about or kind of a normal. It really should. And I think for the longest time, um, I worried about that. Like, A, what kid, you know, what age do you tell a kid that they're adopted? And I kind of feel, I feel like your parents did it right at telling you at a young age. And kind of just having those conversations as you grow. But there's so many people that are like, oh my gosh, well, I don't know how to have those conversations. So I love that your mom did it with a book. And I feel like there's so many good books out there and there's so much resources that if you don't know how to say it or how to explain it, just start there. I don't know. Exactly. (laughs) And what child doesn't like books? (laughs) Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yes. I feel like that's why we've been 
so open with our kids getting in touch with their biological family. Um, you know, they're like you were saying, as a teenager coming from an adoptive situation, you just have all these questions. Yes. And it's it's not always stuff that, you know, we have access to or we can answer. Only right. those people can answer that that question in person. And so that's why we've, you know, really struggled to find our kids' family, uh, mm -hmm. biological families, and, you know, try to make a connection there when it's safe to do so, so that they yeah. can have that that connection with their, their biological family. It's interesting yeah. too, all the different kids that, you know, every kid has their own opinion on their biological family because mm. we've had some kids that are like, I have no desire to know anything. I don't want right. to hear story. I don't want to, I just want to live my life and just be happy. And I don't even want to think about it. And then we have other kids that are like, I want every detail. I want to know why <laughs> I want to understand. I think, especially in those teenage years, when you're trying to figure out who you are and yes. what that looks like and what path you're going to take and why you went through certain things as a child. And so I think when you're trying to get all those questions answered as a teenager, mm -hmm. I can see you wanting at that point, like, uh, oh, do I reach out? Do I not? And kind of going back and forth on that. And so I think that's a definitely a hard stage, those teenagers. It is. And and I don't think it ever ends because, you know, like um, I was I was married at one point. And, you know, I think you go through stages. Like, you know, I remember the wedding day being like, oh, I wish my biological family could could see this moment, you know, it's like, I don't think it ends in your teen years. I think it's a lifelong, you know, um, journey really. It's you're constantly right. thinking about, you know, Oh, what would they be doing right now? Would they be here in this moment? If I really did know them, you know, um, would they approve of him? You know, like things like that, just little moments in life sometimes Definitely. trigger, trigger that. Yeah. So I know Mother's Day just passed. And so I have to say, I, can I say this out loud? I actually cut this from our, our Mother's Day vlog on our crazy pieces, but I we had had a part on there where it was like, Aaron was talking about how I don't really like Mother's Day. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the video looks happy and great. And I mean, it is. And I'm so incredibly thankful for all of my children. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, our whole situation, I feel so blessed. But there's this little piece of me that just, like on Mother's Day, I just think about all the birth moms and I just think about, you know, all the moms out there that have gone through a hard time mm -hmm. and aren't able to have children and who've lost their children in car accidents and COVID. And there's been so much that's gone on in our world. And it's like yes. this little piece of me feels so incredibly sad on Mother's Day. Yes. And I struggle with celebrating it. Every year I dread it. And I'm like, why mm -hmm. am I dreading this? But I think there's this little part of me. And I, I've had a couple of hard Mother's Days in the past where just different, you know, bad events or certain things have happened on Mother's Day. And, and so it always just is like this trigger for me. And I'm like, Mother's Day shouldn't be a trigger, but it is, yeah. I don't know, this little piece of me feels sad about it. It may, it totally makes sense because, you know, each one of your children's situations is different. And so, you know, that may trigger you to think about them, you know, yes. um, and what they went through. I, I know Mother's Day, um, it's not a difficult day for me. And, you know, I probably speak to all adoptees, but I'm, you know, every, I think every adoptee and every adoptive parent 
often thinks about their child's birth family. Or for me, like I think about, you know, my birth parents as to, you know, how are they celebrating today? Do they even have children of their own now? You know, I think it's, I, and I know my mom um, thinks about my birth mother on Mother's Day and kind of wonders like what she's doing, you know, and I think that's perfectly normal. I think that's, it shows compassion for all mothers on that day. I do have a question. So with technology, now that we have like the 23 and me or the hair, um, hair, what are they? Uh, ancestry. The ancestry. ancestry. Yeah. Yeah. You all of those one? tests. Have you done one to see if you can get answers in another way? <laughs> so I, I did one. Um, and I'm trying to think of an, it wasn't like ancestry and it wasn't 23 and me. It was like a different one because I purposely didn't want to find out if I had siblings at this point in my life and all that. But what I, what I did do, um, as we found out like, okay, so I was, when I was born, they said I was English, Irish, and Italian, right? So my entire life, I grew up thinking I'm English, Irish, Italian, you know, filling out all the paperwork and stuff. And I do this test and um, it comes back (laughs) that I am I am Italian. I am 25% Italian, but however, I am not English and I am not Irish. I am Hispanic and German. (laughs) Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, So that was kind of like the first part of the testing. And so I am going to go forward and do the rest of the testing. Um, But I wanted to see kind of how accurate it was and it wasn't accurate at all from what I was told. So (laughs) <laughs> but I am going to go back and do the rest of it. Um, but I'm just going to take out the part where you can find out about siblings or, um, you know, family members. I know on 23andMe, you can do like all of your genetic markers and you can do all of that without giving it permission. Can to do you the really? Side. Yes. See, I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, Cause we looked into doing that on, cause Bella, Bella, Liam and Rylan are siblings out of three are, they've kind of mentioned doing a 23 and me, but they were mm-hmm. like, we're too scared to like find out we were halves when we thought we were whole or, you know what I mean? And they're like, we would feel like our whole life was a lie. So we don't want to do that part of it. And I'm like, well, we could do the genetic marker part and just not click into the family part, but I think it would be tempting to click it. <laughs> but you I, can. I think so too. I think so too. Yeah. I think so too. And I've moved out of state now. Like I grew up in New York and I now live in Massachusetts. And so I figured eh, the chances of my birth family, like all commuting to Massachusetts are like pretty slim to none. So, yeah. So you had mentioned that you had abandonment issues and real quick on this topic. So a lot of times, um, when we went through the foster care classes or there was the different things, they didn't really talk about the different trials that kids go through and different Mm. traumas that they have, even at a young age. So like they would say like, Oh, if you get a teenager, they probably have been through this or, you know, kids coming from a group home, like they would say these kind of things, but there was this overall assumption in our class and in with a lot of people, actually, even in our own families, that if you get a child as a baby, or if you get a child as a small toddler, that they don't have any trauma, or if they Mm. did, they'll forget about it. 
And it's just not the case. And in particular, one of our kids, um, we got at a really young age and they ended up having a lot of food, um, you know, food things going Mm on. And they were like, oh, well, they weren't fed as a baby. And so that continued on into, Mm -hmm. you know, older. And it was just an interesting thing because you would think, but now that I've done my research, I know all of that and we've been through it. Trauma can start even in the womb. Like it starts at a really young age. So can you talk a little bit about that? I can. I actually wrote some notes down. So if I'm looking down, that's um, why. Um, I think, so for me, the struggle actually began when I was a baby, right? Like, boom, born, automatically disowned, right? Like, I haven't even started my life yet. And like, I have no one to love me and protect me, except for the nurses and doctors in the hospital. Then you go with the whole, um, no mother's touch piece of it. Right. So questions, you always have questions that remain unanswered from the day you're born. You have those questions that remain unanswered and like the 23 and me thing, like, you know, I could get those questions answered, but is that going to cause future trauma? You know, um, you know, am I content with my life enough to be okay with not knowing? Um, also, you know, you also think about the whole, what if I wasn't adopted? You know, that feeling comes along. What kind of life would I be living? Would you know, would I have been loved more by them than I am now? And I know probably the answer is no, but, you know, um, there's always that. The other thing, I think I mentioned this to you, Crystal, is that when I was a child, I would talk to everybody. I wanted acceptance from everybody. Like we would be in the grocery store and I'd be like, hi, mine, I'd be like four. And I'd be like, hi, my name's Meredith. What's your name? My mom would be like, you can't do that. (laughs) Like, like you just can't do that. But I was seeking attention because I didn't get that at such an early age. And while my parents, my birth, my adoptive parents loved me so much, my entire family loved me so much. There was still that piece in me that was like, oh, you love me, but I was still abandoned, you know? Um, I still started my, my life out like that. And there was a reason you always feel not good enough, I guess, is the overall struggle that goes into adulthood, you know, and obviously it wasn't my fault. I was born, but you always struggle with why wasn't I good enough? Basically. Would you say that you still struggle with that or do you feel like I do? I I do. Yeah. I absolutely do. I'm just looking at my notes. Um, yeah, I deal with like attachment issues. If, you know, I always feel like, you know, people in my life are going to leave or, you know, when I was younger, I felt like, oh, are my parents just going to up and like walk out the door, you know, because, you know, you just, you just don't know. I, I had a friend that that happened to her. She was adopted and her parents just abandoned her, like left her at a park. 
Oh my goodness. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So I always thought, oh my God, like, will that happen to me? You know, and of course, in the back of my head, I was like, oh, that'll never happen to me. But you know, you just you don't know. Um, but I do think the abandonment just stays with you your entire life. I do go to therapy for it. Um and that's been very helpful. But you know, different situations can definitely trigger it more than others. That's understandable. So did you start therapy at a young age or did your your parents do anything that helped? I did. I was in there as soon as I found out I was adopted, they put me in therapy. Um, and I was in therapy for probably till I was 16. And then I kind of stopped for a period of time. And I'm currently back in therapy now to, you know, um, I, like I said, I was married and unfortunately that didn't work out. And so I struggle with that piece of abandonment. It's like, I wasn't good enough for him, you know? So I'm currently in therapy for that. Um, so it is, it is, it can be a lifelong struggle, but I think what people should know too, is don't be afraid to go to therapy for it. Don't, if you're feeling like you have abandonment issues well into your adulthood, don't be afraid to ask for help. That's what they, that that's what they're there for. For sure. We're huge advocates for therapy because Mm -hmm. it is so important to reach out and get the help that you need and not feel, and again, I feel like every, it should be normal to go to therapy. Like a lot of people feel like, Oh, I'm broken or something's wrong with Mm -hmm. me, or they go through all of these feelings of they're not good enough. And it's quite opposite. It takes a brave person to go to therapy. It takes taking that right step to try to help in any way that you can. That's incredibly strong. It really is. I think it's opposite of what people assumptions are out there. There's such a stigma to it. Like it drives me nuts, but you know, and it's hard because like, if you've adopted a little child, they don't know what therapy is. So, and then if you have a, if you've adopted a teenager, well, they're most teenagers, not all, but most are going to be like, Oh, I'm not doing therapy. Mm -hmm. Like, no, they're, I was like, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we're like, no, like, it's good. It's a good thing. And they're like, no, I'm not doing that. It is. But I also feel like the word, like my parents never forced me to go to therapy. They were just like, when you're ready, you know, go tell us and we'll get you in therapy. So that's exactly what I did. I feel like if they had forced me to go to therapy, I would have not done well, you know, but it, they have to want to do it, but little kids, I think it's such a great idea to put them in therapy if they do have abandonment issues, because it will help them in the long run. As an adoptive parent, I, I'm curious, um, to an adoptee, some of our kids have been resistant to going to therapy Mm -hmm. and I don't, I don't, it's, it's a hard thing. Cause like you said, they have to want to go to it. They do, um, yeah. But I do think it would benefit some of them so much. Mm-hmm. How do I, as an adoptive parent, like what, what sort of questioning or what could I say to them to maybe help them to realize the benefit of it? That's such a good question. Um, I think one thing I would say is to not be ashamed of it. It's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, it's literally a conversation with someone. Um, another thing is to tell them that 
because they may think that the reason you want them to go to therapy is because there's something wrong with them, which is certainly not the case. So maybe just saying to them, like, maybe do it, maybe do it as a family. Don't just put them in therapy. Maybe Uh go as a parental unit with that child and say, we're doing this with you, not to you. You know? Okay. Yeah. One yeah. thing that I've been thinking about too, and I know this, <laughs> I shouldn't even admit this, but I love the show Teen Mom. And oh my God, I, so do I. <laughs> okay, you do too. <laughs> For whatever reason, I love it. <laughs> I like, it's like my guilty pleasure of like, like watching that. But I feel like the show started and I was a young teen mom at the time too. And I've followed these girls' journey for years. I mean, 10 years in or whatever at this point, but... <laughs> Uh, they recently did like a teen mom re or not reunion, a teen mom. What was it called? It basically was where they brought their moms. It was like a vacation. So they oh. were in this hotel and they brought their moms along with it. And, um, they had a life coach slash therapist that would come and like talk about the show, but they would go through like different things like they would like jump off the side of a bridge and obviously they were scared some of them didn't do it some did and then afterwards they would talk about their feelings and then they would bring the moms in and talk about their feelings and then ultimately like things from their past would come up and it was kind of a therapy session in a lot of ways but it was done through like interactive games and like that kind of thing and it was really cool it was really good to see that I think sometimes people are like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to go sit on a couch and talk to a therapist. And I'm just, you know what I mean? And it's that like uncomfortable setting of just like sitting there talking. But I think I feel like they should create, I'm just putting this out there. If anyone's out there listening that could create something (laughs) like this, but I think they should create like therapy or like these things with activities. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Go take our kids hiking or different things and then have those conversations as you're hiking. Because I notice yes. when I'm doing things with my kids is when they start opening up and when they start talking and when they're not just like sitting there idly, it's like we're doing some activity and I learn so much about them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like therapy should be more like that. I'm just saying. That's such a great point. Like it, it can be so scary to like walk into somebody's office and they're like, here, have a seat on my couch. And you're like, like, really? Like, yeah, that's a very good point. The other thing too is, um, Aaron, to answer your question a little bit more too, is look at therapists in your area and have your kids like, go, you know, Google them or whatever and sit down with the child. and be like, well, how does this person sound? Do you have them read like their bio and everything? And then maybe do, instead of like bringing it to the office, maybe do like a Zoom thing. So they're, so they're in a comfortable location. Space. Okay. Space that they don't feel, they don't feel closed in or they have nowhere to go. Like, you know, if you're in somebody's office and the door is shut, I mean, what are you going to do? Get up and run if you're not comfortable. But if, if they're in the comfort of their own home or, you know, they've done some research on the therapist that can be very helpful too. I love those suggestions. Thank you. You're welcome. That's very helpful. So a couple more things and then we'll wrap this up. But, um, as an adoptive mom too, I wonder as you've gotten older and as you've started a life and, you know, you have your things and all of that kind of things go on. Um, do you ever think about 
I'm trying to think how to word this correctly, but um, do you like still go home all the time? Like, are your adoptive parents, like basically your birth parents? Like, yes. do you think of them in that way? Absolutely. My entire family, I think of them that way. They've never treated me any differently. Um, I have cousins that I have twin cousins uh, that were adopted and we don't think of them any differently. We're still, their are situations different because it's an open adoption. Um, but we don't think of them any differently. Um, you know, some it's weird. Sometimes I forget I'm adopted. And what's even weirder is I that I look that. just like my parents, <laughs> like my adopt, like my dad, when I was probably about two, he was with me in the grocery store and um, he ran into like a buddy of his and they were like, oh, she's so cute. She looks just like you. And his answer was just, thank you. Like he wasn't like, oh, she's not supposed to. She's adopted. Like he was just like, thank you. Because to them and to me, it's I'm just their child. You know, I'm not I an adopted. That. I'm a child first, not an adoptive child. Right. I love that. And that's one thing that I always want our kids to feel is it's just, you're just my kid. Like, I truly feel like I gave birth to each one of my kids and, yes. you know, even though I didn't physically give birth to them, like I still feel that way in my heart. And, and so I wonder, I mean, as they've gotten older, they all, you know what I mean? Consider me their birth mom, <laughs> but yes. it is kind of just, it's just different, you know? Well, I can honestly say from an outsider looking on, I've been watching your vlogs for as long as I can remember. And I honestly forget your kids are adopted. <laughs> <laughs> like you just, cause if you're an adoptee, you just see it different. Like, you know, you just, love is love. Like your right? children love are your children. Exactly. Like I've honestly thought, oh, like I don't see them as your adopted children. I see them as your children. Yeah. Same. I love that. Yeah. yeah it's very true. So one more quick question for you. So as a, um, even, well, any advice that you have for someone who's adopted or an adoptee or anything like that, is there anything that you would recommend that either your parents did or you went through that you just felt like this really, really helps? Yes. My parents have always just told me to be who you are. Don't, you know, don't always think about where you came from think about where you're going. Um, surround yourself with good people. Um, I'm trying to think what else. There was a phrase my dad always used to tell me when I would be struggling with the abandonment issues. And I can't think of it off the top of my head, but basically that these feelings are normal and that, that they are loved. Basically. I think that's the most important thing you can convey to them is that they are loved and you will continue to love them you know, no matter the struggle. That. Yeah. That's amazing advice, especially to be yourself, because I think so. Or I, there was a saying that was like that too, that I just saw the other day, but it was like, don't try to be somebody else. Cause there's already somebody else in the world. Try to be yourself because you're the only you or something like that. Some kind of quote. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's so true. It is. Love and it. especially with, especially with teenagers, you know, where you guys have some teenagers that were adopted at a later age. It's like, it's like they started their whole life over and they're yeah. trying to become who they are now and just let that be a natural process. You know, let they will come into their own, you know, in their, in their Love own it. time. Oh, I love, I love it. 
Yes. Thank you so much, Meredith, for joining us. And thank you for all of your knowledge. And you're such an inspiration to not only us, but so many people listening. And I really appreciate you. And yeah, thank you guys for watching the Peace of Us podcast. And we'll catch you guys next time. Thank you, Meredith. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.